Hello and welcome to Come Follow Up. My name is Daniel Becerra and this is Barbara Morgan Gardner. As scholars and religious educators, we're always searching for ways to help individuals and families apply the scriptures more deeply in their lives. Here on Come Follow Up, we look to enrich your daily studies of the Come Follow Me resource as we discuss life-changing principles and study the words of the prophets. We hope that our dialogue today can inspire you so that through the Spirit, you can uncover truths, experience new insights, and deepen your personal conversion. So we are looking today at Mormon chapters seven through nine. Mormon is writing to the people, especially to the house of Israel of the future. He's pleading with the people to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and that Christ will be their savior. Mormon is eventually killed and his son Moroni finds himself alone. He continues the records of his father. Moroni also testifies that God is a God of miracles despite all the hardships and loneliness. And he talks about the people and knows that they're gonna have a lot of fear and there are gonna be a lot of concerns in their future. So he talks about the importance of faith regardless of fear. We've chosen a few topics to, to discuss in a more focused manner, uh, specifically the relationship between faith and doubt. We wanna talk about uh, what can we do when we feel lonely. And we also wanna talk about what is the value of the Book of Mormon in our lives today. And to help us get through some of these topics, uh, we have a special guest with us. Dr. Patrick Mason is, is here to join us. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks. Great to be here. Glad Thanks, to Patrick. You bet. You guys are going to love Patrick. He's a genius. So if you have any questions, address it to him. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll play how to, how to stump Patrick today, okay? Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> So Patrick is the Leonard J. Arrington Chair of Mormon History and Culture at Utah State University. He is Associate Professor of Religious Studies and History. He's also the author of several books, including Planted, which specifically addresses this subject of doubt and overcoming it. So welcome, We're really grateful to have you here and uh, to learn from you. Thanks. So let's jump right into it. So if we open up to Mormon chapter nine, maybe we can go there. So you have verse 21, uh, Moroni is saying, Whoso believeth in Christ, doubting nothing. Uh, 25, Whosoever shall believe in my name, doubting nothing. And then 27, Doubt not, but be believing. So doubt and belief and faith, these are real uh, important themes in these scriptures here. And to kind of start off our discussion, Patrick, we have a video um, from one of our viewers at home. She has a question that maybe we can, we can start there. Sure. Hi, my name is Princess Donato Astel, and I'm from North Shore of Oahu here in Hawaii. My question is, is it okay to doubt my beliefs and faith? I feel bad because I grew up in the church and in the gospel, but there are still some principles that I feel like I don't have 100% faith in it. I know that in the Bible, miracles happen because people have faith that Jesus Christ can perform them. How do I know? if my faith is enough to bring miracles. So I hope this gets answered. Thank you. That's a great question. Yeah, and a great name, princess. That's cool, right? <laughs> in preparation for this, I went through the scriptures and looked up every instance of doubt in the Book of Mormon, and I couldn't find one in which it was talked about in a neutral or positive way. And yet, in modern times, it seems like we talk about it a little bit differently. I think that's right. I mean, I think uh, the, the way we use language changes a little bit over time. And one of the problems we have is we have one little word, uh, doubt, that actually means lots of different things. Mm. It can mean just having questions. It can mean, uh, sort of like Princess said, not being fully sure, right? Having a little bit of uncertainty, as she said, not having 100% yeah. faith, right? We have to be careful about like, how are we using it? Because you're right, in, in the scriptures, it's always talked about in these negative terms because I think it's thinking about this, this sense of, of, a, of a state of being skeptical towards our, all things spiritual. Mm -hmm. And it's the same way with pride. Pride is another example. President Benson, as we know, talks about pride and there's 
there's no good pride, right? But then President Uchtdorf says, well, there is good pride. And one is using the scripture's definition of pride, and the other one is using Webster's de definition of pride. And we have to understand as members of the church, what context and what, what are the semantics behind these words? What I love is the princess is asking the question, uh -huh. right? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you think about what Alma taught about faith, he says, if, if you have just a, des a, a desire to mm -hmm. believe, right? If you have a desire to want to know, and clearly princess has that, yeah. right? She has a desire. She wants to grow her faith. She wants to, to feel God in her life. Mm -hmm. And Alma says, that's enough. And so build on that. Yeah. And so it's building faith and, and working through our questions, working through the, the very real uncertainty, which is part of this mortal existence, mm -hmm. that's all part of the process. Uh -huh. So she's not doing anything wrong. She's doing the exact right thing uh -huh. of being really self-aware about where she's at yeah. and wanting to move forward from there. Yeah. Daniel, there, there's our wonderful young man here that had a question or a comment. I think it's really good to ask the question, why am I receiving this? Like, what can I, re what can I learn from this? Why am I supposed to have this trial? And really go to the basis of the why you're having that um, question or thought, um, what you need to learn from it to better your life and yourself. Yeah, so I'd like, I'd like to ask you guys, maybe get a little deeper off of that great question. And the question is just simply, when have you really had to exercise your faith in order to overcome what we would consider in this case, doubts or, or real struggles of your faith? Annette, I think you had a comment. Well, I just remember when I was uh, 17 years old and I wasn't a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I always, when I attended weddings, they usually, you know, it said that until death do you part. And at that age, I was thinking, well, you know, when you're married, you find someone you really love them and you get married, then you, you want to be with that person forever. And I was just had that doubt, like, why? Why would you, until death, you part? Why? And so the Lord led the missionaries to me, and they came to my house, and they talk about the temples. Right away, I just felt the Spirit, and, and they talk about um, families can be sealed for time and all eternity. So it's good to have questions because it leads you to one thing to the other. Thank you for sharing that. What a big deal at that age, such, a, such an important age with so many questions, to be finding the truth. And I, I think for all of us, we would say that um, questions are so important. Most of the Doctrine and Covenants, so much that we have today is a result of people that are trying to find truth. And don't be afraid. The Lord wants us to ask. Ask of the Lord, ask of each other, ask of professors, ask of your family, your parents, your, your neighbors, whatever it is, but ask. Can I piggyback off that a little yeah. bit, Barbara? So I'm, I'm wondering, Patrick, how would you, what do you think is a productive way to respond to somebody, we, especially maybe somebody in our family, somebody who's close to us, who we worry about their welfare? both spiritual and temporal, if they find themselves separating themselves from God or the church, what's a productive way to respond? It's such an important question, Daniel, because almost everyone knows somebody who's, who's distanced themselves uh, from the church. I think the very first thing we have to do is to go back to the very first promise we made mm -hmm. when we became Christians, to our baptismal covenant. Mm -hmm. And my favorite place where we find that is in Mosiah chapter 18. And the very first thing it says, is that we mourn with those who mourn and comfort those who stand in need of comfort. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to talk about how we stand as witnesses of Christ in all mm -hmm. times and all places and all things. But the very first thing we do as Christians mm -hmm. 
is to mourn with those who are mourning and comfort those who need it. Because people who are going through these questions and doubts and are really struggling, a lot of times it's the hardest thing they've ever been through, yeah. right? And so they don't need our judgment, they need, they need our love. Mm -hmm. And they need us to, to walk with them, to accompany them, and then to also, of course, our lives will be living testimonies of the things that we believe and, and the witness that we have of Christ and of the gospel. But we need to be with them, we, we need to love them, because that's what God does with us, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. The first thing he does with us is he loves us, yeah. first and always. Yeah. One of the things that kind of stuck out to me, Patrick, is in, if you wanna to go to Meet a Mormon, um, chapter nine, verse 31. Condemn me not because of mine imperfection, neither my father because of his imperfection, neither them who have written before him, but rather give thanks unto God that he hath made manifest unto you our imperfections, that you may learn to be more wise than we have been. How can this verse help us to understand how to navigate doubts? I think it's a great question, Daniel. And, and I think you're right. This, these chapters are some of the best that we have in all of scripture to talk about this. Because here is the prophet, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Moroni talking mm -hmm. about, don't condemn me because of my imperfections, yeah. right? <laughs> so we don't believe in perfect prophets. We right. never have. Right. And if you look at chapter eight, verse 12, uh, he says, whoso re receiveth this record and shall not condemn it because of the imperfections which are in it, the same shall know of greater things than these, right? I think the focus here is, yes, of course, there's imperfections everywhere we look. We're a bunch of human beings, right? The prophets are human. The scriptures were written by humans. But Moroni says is, what should that imperfection do? It should lead you to charity. Yeah. It should lead you to humility mm -hmm. and it should lead you to try to do better. Mm -hmm. I love his humility here because he's, he's saying, guess what? I'm not perfect, so learn from me and do better. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the prophets do because they never point to themselves. Yeah. They always point to Christ. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for that, that wonderful discussion on faith and doubt um, and also imperfections. And speaking of imperfections, one of the things that Moroni actually talks about in, in Mormon chapter eight is, is loneliness. And some people often will discuss and talk about loneliness as if there was an imperfection that they had. Moroni is speaking of the loneliness that he feels after having his father pass away or being killed, and then the loneliness that he's dealing with at this time. In verse three of chapter eight, Moroni states, and my father also was killed by them, and I even remain alone to write the sad tale of destruction among my people but behold, they are gone. And I fulfill the commandment of my father and whither they will slay me, I know not. He is lonely and he is being honest with his loneliness. How have you dealt with, with loneliness in your life? Yes, Samantha, please. Pray. Okay, how does prayer help you with loneliness? Because you, can, um, you should always go to um, God when you have a problem or if you're feeling lonely. Can I respond to that? Please, please. So, so I was thinking about this, and so I, th I think prayer is so central here. And I was thinking about um, the, the longest and loneliest night of my life. Uh, a few years ago, my wife went into uh, uh, preterm, uh, what do you Labor. call it? Labor. <laughs> Labor. <laughs> I'm a man, not a woman. What do I know, right? <laughs> so. We discovered when she went into labor that she had a whole series of complications that they hadn't detected through earlier tests. And each one of these complications could have been fatal. And so she went into labor and they took her into the emergency room and sent me out as they went into this really harrowing surgery. I was stuck in this room all by myself all night. I didn't know what was going on except that I had doctors coming in and saying, Sorry, we're doing everything we can, but she's losing too much blood. We're not sure what we can do. So I sat there alone 
in this hospital room uh, with nobody around me. Nobody knew what was going on. It was like three in the morning. None of my family knew. Nobody knew except my heavenly father. All I could do that night was just get down on the floor of that hospital room and just say, please. I didn't have any other words. I didn't have anything else to say. I was just so lonely. And Moroni talks about miracles, Yeah. right? And that night we got a miracle uh, and my wife uh, came through and the doctors and nurse saved her, but most of all, God saved her. It was funny in the days afterwards, the doctors and nurses, even the ones who weren't working on her would come to her room to see because she was a miracle. And we believe in a God of miracles. But that night, I didn't know what was gonna happen. I didn't know how things were gonna end up. And so sometimes when we're lonely, all we have is prayer, right? All we have is our Heavenly Father. And, but he, he will always be there for us, right? That's what he sends his spirit for, is the spirit is the comforter. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate this. My, my father is, has been quite ill recently, and I have my little daughter that was talking to him the other day, and she said, she said, Grandpa, how are you? And he said, I'm, I'm lonely. And he was surrounded by family. And my little daughter just so preciously said, Grandpa, you do know your wife is right by your side. My, grandma, my mother passed away 10 years ago, but it was a good reminder for him. And my little daughter just said, Grandpa, you're, you're never alone. Sometimes hearing that you're never alone is not necessarily good enough. But if we can, as you're talking about Patrick and others, recognize that, that our Father is there. And when we are reaching out in prayer, as you said, Samantha, that God really does want to answer our prayers. And we literally are not alone. There are angels among us. There are those who have passed beyond the veil. There are family members. And loneliness isn't just a matter of not having a person by your side. It's a loneliness of struggling through, through doubt. It's a loneliness of struggling through concern or through financial issues or through divorce. Or There's so many levels and reasons for loneliness. But Christ is always aware. Our Father in heaven always knows us and loves us, and we aren't alone. So what is our responsibility? There's a great quote by Elder Holland. These scenes of Christ's lonely sacrifice, laced with moments of denial and abandonment, and at least once outright betrayal, must never be reenacted by us. He has walked alone once. Now may I ask that never again will he have to confront sin without aid and assistance, that never again will he find only unresponsive onlookers when he sees you and me along his Via Dolorosa, in our present day, may we declare ourselves to be more fully disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in word only and not only in the flush of comfortable times, but in deed and in courage and in faith. So this loneliness is real. And I, I really do hope and learning from all of us here and having this discussion that it's okay to feel alone. Mormon was alone. Moroni was alone. Jesus Christ himself was alone. But then what do we do with that loneliness? Yes, please. I think it also comes with... Part, it's part of the price that we come to know God. I think in some way, shape, or form, he wants us to under, like, I don't necessarily think he wants us to feel alone, but I sometimes think he lets us feel alone. Because if we don't understand what it was like for him to be alone, truly alone, it's just not necessarily something that we could relate to and we could really understand him. So I think loneliness, loneliness is part of the price we come to know God. Very well said. Thank you. When I was serving as a Stake Relief Society president, I would ask numbers of sisters what they were struggling with. And bar none without fail, the number one answer I got was loneliness. It didn't matter if they were married, single, if they had 10 children or one or none. It didn't matter if they were the president of a major company. The number one response I got across the board was loneliness. 
and we are in good hands here. I just um, was thinking about a cute little lady I know, and um, older lady, and thinking about how we can pull ourselves out of loneliness or help with loneliness by following Christ's example and serving other people. And, and in her uh, older years, she structured her week so that she was always serving. She had a week, day she went to the temple. She had a day that she volunteered in the kindergarten class in our elementary school. And she just, you know, made a, a structure of her life where she was out there and helping and serving rather than just sitting home by herself alone. And so... Um, serving, I think, can be a way we can follow Christ and, and also help with our loneliness. So. Thank you so much. So I think we actually have a video of a sister who is sharing her experience with loneliness. Uh, maybe we can look at that right now. My name is Amber Barnes. I live in Urbana, Illinois. I'm a single sister, and I've never been married or had kiddos. I've been struggling because um, I've been home alone during this whole time of COVID by myself, and it, been, it had been lonely. But what has helped me the most is when I was reading Alma about the scriptures and how to search the scriptures. And when I, when I read Alma, I never felt alone because Christ is with us. And through these hard times that we have, he, he will not leave us alone and he's always with us. Come Follow Me has been a wonderful experience for me through all of this. Um, and I'm grateful for my many blessings. I love that video. I, I, I appreciate that she's able to look into the scriptures and feel the love of Christ. I know for myself, I've mentioned this before, but I didn't get married until I was 40. And I went through many years of, of feeling the loneliness that some people would express of, of not being married. But I, one of the things that I did learn is there is a law of compensation. And although there is loneliness, the Lord really does bless us through scripture study. There really are, as Elder Holland says, that there are angels that he does send. In fact, for me, on a, on a very real note, I found that when I did family history, I didn't feel lonely. And it took a while for me to understand that perhaps it was those angels on the other side of the veil that were very close to me as I was trying to serve them. Anna, I think you had a comment too. I really like to rely on, on a promise that, I don't remember exactly who said it, I believe it was Elder Holland, but he said that those who are with us are more than, than those who are against us. Usually for my, my kind of loneliness is more feeling lonely and nobody agrees with me, I, I don't feel understood. But if I feel like there's more people on the other side of the veil and there's my family and I find people who I can relate and can really understand me, either through emails, through texts, through any other way, then this promise becomes true to me that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Thanks. Um, so one of the things that we've been uh, talking about is the value of, of Scripture for helping us to overcome loneliness. I'm, I'm wondering if we can explore the value of the Book of Mormon yeah. specifically for not just helping us overcome loneliness, but really its value in our, in our own lives. Let's dive in now a little bit more deeply into this question. What is the Book of Mormon worth to us? Mormon and Moroni seem to be very aware that it, has this, it should have a significant value for those who read it. You think about Moroni, right? Traipsing him around for 20 years by himself, mm -hmm. right? And he like ends the book like three different times because he doesn't know how long he's going to be alone, right? And, but he does this. And, and, and Mormons sticking through to the very end and seeing the end of their civilization, right? Mm -hmm. They do it to, to keep this record and with this sense that, that it's going to mean something for people later on. And who are those people? Mm -hmm. We're part of it. 
right? When Moroni came to the prophet Joseph Smith that, that night in September of 1823, he said, the records that you're gonna find, they're not gonna be of any worth. He actually says the same thing uh, here, that they're not gonna be of any earthly worth, even though they're made of gold, right? right? And that was the first thing that Joseph Smith <laughs> yeah, thought like, when, when he first saw them. His family was poor, and he uh -huh. talks about this, you know? He, he, he lifts up the rock, he's like, gold, yeah. right? <laughs> you know? And, and so he didn't get the records then. He wasn't ready. Yeah because he didn't realize what they were really worth. Mm -hmm. It took him four years. Can I follow up real Please. quick? Please. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Easy. I love the Book of Mormon. <laughs> so, I mean, so you've, I mean, obviously you're a professor, you kind, of, you kind of live in the scriptures. How do you continually engage with the Book of Mormon in a transformative way after you know so much about it? I just have a testimony more, now more than ever, that this book has just untold depths. You can never get to the bottom of, of this book. But, but it, it requires time, it requires investment, mm -hmm. it requires curiosity. We talked about questions, yeah. bringing questions to the book. I know the story. I'm less mm -hmm. interested about the story anymore. I'm more interested about what I can find underneath the story. Okay. Anna, how do you say Book of Mormon in Portuguese? Book of Mormon. Wow. And how do you say it in, what, what language is it? Oh, so Jamaican is English, but it's a dialect. It's a called dialect. Patois. Right, yeah. Patois. Just oh, yeah, Patois. So let's hear Book of Mormon in <laughs> Patois. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Book of Mormon are, me love read the Book of Mormon, man. <laughs> I love it too, man. <laughs> yeah. President Nelson in his talk, The Book of Mormon, what would your life be like without it? He says, whenever I hear anyone, including myself, say, I know the Book of Mormon is true, I want to exclaim, that's nice, but it's not enough. We need to feel deep in the inmost parts of our hearts that the Book of Mormon is unequivocally the Word of God. We must feel it so deeply that we would never want to live even one day without it. And then he says, I might paraphrase President Brigham Young in saying, I wish I had the voice of seven thunders to wake up the people to the truth and the power of the Book of Mormon. In fact, in this same talk, President Nelson actually talks about different parts of the Book of Mormon, what the Book of Mormon can do for us. He says that the Book of Mormon affirms, the Book of Mormon refutes, fulfills, clarifies, and reveals. We could spend a lot of time, and President Nelson actually does in his talk, going through each of these points that he is discussing here. But an invitation for you on your own is to go through the Book of Mormon, understanding what it affirms, refutes, fulfills, clarifies, reveals, and make your own bullet points as well. And as you continue to study, as Patrick is talking about, and as we continue to dive deeply into this book, we will also be able to testify, not just simply that I know the book is true, that's not enough, as he says. We need to be able to really testify that this Book of Mormon has changed our lives, that this Book of Mormon is the Word of God, and that we live by it. Yeah, sister. I liked what you said, um, because I agree that the Book of Mormon is very valuable, even though people don't think that sometimes. Why is it important to you? Well, because um, when I'm sad or something, I can go to the Book of Mormon and it just helps me remember God and Jesus and what God did for us and how much pain he felt. And that's such a great answer because, I mean, it, it teaches me at least that reading the Book of Mormon isn't just about knowing the stories, right? It's about connecting with God. It's a tool for connecting with God, for helping us feel uh, his love, for helping us come to know him better for opening up the channel of Revelation. So thank you for that. I loved what Daniel said there. There's a scripture that really stood out to me early on in my conversion process. Uh, I was baptized in the church, but I think we all go through a conversion process. And it was this. It's in uh, 3 Nephi chapter 21, verse 7. 
And when these things, and this is the Lord speaking here, and he's talking specifically about the record of the Nephites. And when these things come to pass, that thy seed shall begin to know of these things, it shall be a sign unto them that they may know that the work of the Father hath already commenced unto the fulfilling of the covenant which he hath made unto the people who are of the house of Israel. And that's why the Book of Mormon for me is so powerful because it is the sign of the restoration and the gathering of Israel. And it calls to me, calls me back to the Lord. Thank you so much. That's a, that's a good reminder of the House of Israel and President Nelson again, his last general conference talk about the importance of the House of Israel and understanding the gathering of Israel in our day. Thank you so much. And the Book of Mormon clearly is that covenant relationship that we're reading about that's talked about. Thank you again so much for coming today. We really appreciated all of your thoughts and insights, your comments, uh, your wonderful personalities. We'd also like to thank Patrick for being here with us for his thoughts and insights and experiences that, that you've been able to share. You thank bet. you, Patrick. Thank you. And thank you to those at home watching. Um, we look forward to your thoughts and comments and questions on social media. And please feel free to come join us in the audience. And we'll see you next week on Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.